6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 1 Chronicles, chapters 18 through 21. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that you are in control of all things. We thank you, Father, that you are in control of Israel's future as well. We also thank you, Father, that we are here by your divine appointment. We pray, Father, that your purpose would be accomplished in every life in this room as we commit this evening and ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're reviewing the book known as First Chronicles. And we're in chapters 18, uh, 18 through 21, which will focus on the wars of David. And uh, just by way of background, the Hebrew name for this book are the words concerning the days. And Chronicles is considered one book in the Hebrew Bible, which is in a reckoning which sets up 22 books in the Old Testament, one for each letter of the alphabet. Now, the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the uh, Old Testament, uh, calls it really the supplements because it views this very, it's very much a supplement to 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, in effect. The Latin Vulgate called it the Chromicon, from which we draw the English, English-sized version of that called Chronicles. Uh, the 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings are the historical record from a political point of view. 1 and 2 Chronicles reviews that from a priestly or Levitical or I might say religious point of view. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, this uh, followed Ezra and Nehemiah, and, pro- and most people uh, suspect that, that it was compiled by Ezra after they returned from the exile in Babylon. But uh, th- now they take the form of a history. The early chapters are pretty dreary because there's long lists of names, but um, it starts, in fact, with Adam. It goes all the way uh, through the death of Saul simply with a genealogy and some fragmentary segments. It ends, the, the, the first and second chronicles will end, with the uh, decree of Cyrus when he conquers Babylon and frees the Jews to go back. When the exiles end, uh, over, they go back, and the history would be picked up by Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, David and Judah are the focal points uh, for lots of good reasons, not the least of which it's setting the background for the ruler of the planet Earth. Because God committed to David that his son would be, great, 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 great grandson, would be, uh, the, would be uh, establishing a kingdom that would have no end on the planet Earth. And uh, so, so we're setting the background there. Now, if you look at a timeline, if you're familiar with our Learn the Bible 24-hour product, you're familiar with this timeline. And the monarchy, of course, started with Saul, and uh, 
First, uh, first uh, Samuel takes you to the end of Saul, beginning of David. Second Samuel gives you the career of David. First Kings picks it up with Solomon and carries it through a uh, uh, path for a good portion of the southern kingdom. And Second Kings takes it to the uh, Babylonian exile. And uh, now, uh, and they, they break about the difference between Elijah and Elisha, the two, two uh, uh, prophets. The book of Chronicles parallels the first chronicle really parallels pretty much Second Samuel, as we'll see. Um, but Second Chronicles will carry it from Solomon to the end of the exile. And so the first, uh, first Chronicles really is establishing the Davidic dynasty. But the Second Chronicles takes it from the death of David on to, uh, to uh, the exile. So that's a, it's a parallel to, to the Samuel King's Chronicle. In fact, it's almost like an appendix. You really, to really get the most out of this book, you should have already been through 2 Samuel and 1 2 Kings, because it has a lot more detail. But here the writer, the chronicler, selects certain things to amplify and emphasize. And it's surprising what he omits. And we'll get to that tonight, some of it. Now, the first nine chapters of, uh, of Chronicles are uh, is simply a genealogy. There are little nuggets in there, but it's, it's, it's pretty dreary reading because most of those names you have never heard of, and even if you research them, you'll find they don't have a lot of visibility in the Bible elsewhere. But one of the inferences we can draw is that God has a record of all His people. His people are numbered, and you're in that number, I trust, okay? Hope you trust, okay. The reign of David then is from 1 Chronicles 10 to 29. In other words, 1 Chronicles is the genealogies and the reign of David himself. The Davidic dynasty, starting with Solomon on, is what 2 Chronicles is all about. Solomon himself for the first nine chapters, and then Davidic dynasty through to the end. And of course, we're in, in, in this portion of the reign of David. It's a very summary uh, uh, recount. It's not a detailed recount. Uh, if you want the details, you go back to 1 Kings and so on. And uh, so, this is just another slice of that whole thing. Now, the, one of the things that we covered last time in the previous sessions is the Davidic covenant. It's detailed for you in 2 Samuel 7, but it's obviously recorded also in Chronicles, but it's, we can't overemphasize its importance. The, the, that covenant affects everything that follows it, not only in the Scriptures, of course, but also in all of mankind. The challenge of the world today is a challenge to that Davidic covenant, whether they realize it or not. There's a divine confirmation of the throne in Israel, the perpetuity of Davidic dynasty it would go on uh, forever, and the fact that it is unconditional. Many, many churches fail to really countenance the fact that there's nothing they could do to forfeit it if they tried. Gabriel promised Mary that her child would sit on the throne of David. The throne of David did not exist in that year, at that time. So this has profound messianic implications, uh, obviously. And so this thread of commitment by God starts, of course, in Eden with the promise of the seed of the woman where he indicates that he's going to use the human race to redeem the entire creation. Not only that, as we get to Genesis 15 and then 17, he focuses on Abraham, that it would come through a specific nation. 
And within that nation, Jacob, the and then the tribe of Judah, and then David, the family. Um, the Abrahamic covenant is really where our covenant study should begin in uh, Genesis, um, actually 12 when he's called, but then Genesis 15 and 17 with the Abrahamic covenant. That, and uh, David, then Judah, and of course, David was anointed by Samuel in, in, in reference to this covenant. David is very aware of his election, and uh, that's amplified especially in his psalm, Psalm 2, which is really a portrayal of what you might call a trilogue, a, a dialogue, if you will, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and uh, Psalm 110 and so forth. And obviously the prophets throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Old Testament, attest to a Davidic Messiah. The term Messiah and the son of David are virtually synonyms. Now, David's family, he of course uh, was the son of Jesse, and, uh, but he had a, uh, his, uh, uh, a, in effect, a half-sister and a half, two half-sisters that get mentioned in the scripture. And uh, there, that gives rise to some nephews. And uh, Joab is one of those, and, and Abishai is one of those, or a couple of those uh, nephews. We're going to see them a lot in David's wars because jo, uh, Joab uh, is the leader and, uh, and Abishai is uh, also a, a key player in, in the wars that we're going to look at. Now, David made a mistake, of course. We talked about this before, this all by way of review. Uh, contrary to what the scripture instructs us, he took a number of wives. And uh, from those wives, he had a number of different sons, obviously. And uh, he had more sons than are listed here um, from other wives and concubines. But the two critical ones will turn out to be Solomon and Nathan. Solomon, the first surviving son of Bathsheba, and Nathan, the second surviving son of Bathsheba, not to be confused with the prophet Nathan. There's a couple of other Nathans in the text. They're going to be both important because Solomon is the link that uh, Matthew uses to build the legal inheritance to Jesus Christ. Nathan is the link that Luke uses to come down through Mary, the bloodline so that Christ has both the legal and the bloodline linkage. And uh, so that's all by way of just some of the highlights of what we talked about. Let's jump in then tonight in uh, chapter 18. And we're going to be in the next few chapters about wars of David. We're going to deal with the Philistines several times, three major incursions, the Moabites, the Arameans. And the Arameans are what you and I would think of as Syria, to some extent, and the Edomites. Okay, now, at his peak, just looking ahead to give you a perspective here, David is going to turn out to be an outstanding warrior. He's very clever. He's a great general. He subdues the Philistines to the west. I'll give you, show this on a map in a minute. And that was Saul's nemesis. In fact, it almost continues to be a nemesis, although David finally uh, gets them under control. The Syrians and Hadadezer in the north... The Ammonites and Moabites to the east, think of them as the, with the area that we think of today as Jordan, and the Edomites and the Malachites to the south, southeast actually. And uh, David was also a remarkable administrator. We're going to see that in the next session especially, as he organizes the Levites and the singers and so forth. In fact, 
couple of things just to anticipate there. As David organizes that, we will discover in 2 Chronicles, a verse highlights the fact that God gave him not only the plans for the temple, he designed the temple and he paid all the bills in advance. Solomon built it, but David prepared the way, prepared it all. But God not only gave David the plans for the temple, that's important to understand, he also gave David the organization. That we're, that's why we want to study that very carefully because part of it has a profound, uh, 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 it creates a, a profound insight to the book of Revelation. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Now, as if that wasn't enough, David was also a major poet. He didn't just write poetry. He's one of the most prolific of their poets and a songwriter. He wrote pretty much the bulk of the hymnal, the national hymnal of Israel. So he's quite a guy. Well, his kingdom, of course, um, his kingdom proper, you can see on the map here, from north to south. But the vassal states, the Philistines and Ammon and up in the Hamath up north, eventually become vassal states. He doesn't really conquer them, but they become subservient to him. And then there's a, a acknowledged Israelite sovereignty over the Arameans, Moab, and Edom as a result of these wars. During, so David's kingdom uh, is very substantial, brought about by his military skill. And I shouldn't say it that way because it was not his military skill, actually. It was God did it. But he, did, but he did this in ways that used a, uh, a very, very effective military to accomplish these goals. Anyway, 1 Chronicles 8, verse 1. 1 eight, Chronicles 18, verse 1. Now after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and her towns out of the land of the Philistines. Last time we were together, we talked about the five towns of the Philistines. Gaza, Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, Ashkelon. And the, the humorous aspect of the, of the golden hemorrhoids and so on. But we'll go on. For, we, we'll get into that again tonight. <laughs> if you haven't been through that, if you want to have evidence that God has a sense of humor, you've got to check that out. Anyway, and he smote Moab. The Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. And what relationship would David have to the Moabites? Anyone want to volunteer that? Who was his great-great-great-grandmother? Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth and Boaz. It was their fields that the shepherds were in the night that Jesus was, was born. And uh, the, the, it was a Moabitess that ends up linking the town of Bethlehem to the line of David. That's why Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to register. Because it was, that was their... their, their, their that was a linkage. Anyway, but uh, anyway, they became David's servants, brought gifts, and David smote Hadarezer, the king of Zobah, at Hamath, that's way up north, as he went to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. And uh, so, this description here is very summary. If you read 2 Samuel 8, you'll find a much more detailed and harsher uh, reckoning of all of this. And uh, so, the, uh, David, uh, Samuel spoke of David's systematic slaughter of two-thirds of the population of Moab. And, uh, and, uh, but here, the, 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 uh, the uh, passed over lightly here is just by way of summary here. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven thousand horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. David also 
hold all the chariot horses, but reserved of them a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadarezer, the king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and twenty thousand men. You know, we glibly read these verses, but you're talking major military operations here by anybody's standard. Slaughtering um, 22,000, is a, that's a big number in anyone's vocabulary. Then David put garrisons in Syria, Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought gifts. Thus the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And I hope I won't be misunderstood. David was a very, very skilled general, and we need to recognize that. That's part of the picture here. At the same time, let's not make the same mistake David will make shortly in assuming that it was his skill that brought it about. God is the one that gets the glory. We need never lose sight of that. At the same time, when we so focus on that, we may not communicate the, some of the operational aspects of that. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadarezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Likewise, from Tibath and from Chun, cities of Hadarezer, brought David very much brass, wherewith Solomon made the brazen sea, the pillars, and the vessels of brass. Just looking ahead, when you, when you get to the temple, that which is outside the temple proper, the naos, is brass. And not just a few implements, these two pillars, gigantic bronze pillars, have names. And they're not holding anything up. What are they there for? That's, a, that's your homework assignment. Find out what their names were, why they're named that, and what's their you know, spiritual significance. One of them's named Boaz and the other Yachin. What's it all about? I'll leave that with you. We'll move on. Now when Tau king of Hamath heard how David had smitten all the host of Hadarezer, the king of Zobah, he sent Hadaram, his son, to King David to inquire of his welfare and to congratulate him because he had fought against Hadarezer and smitten him, for Hadarezer had war with Tau, and with him all manner of vessels of gold and silver and brass. Them also King David dedicated to the Lord with the silver and the gold that he brought from all these nations, from Edom, from Moab, and from the children of Ammon, and from the Philistines, and from Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, slew of the Edomites in the Valley of the Salt, 18,000. It's going to go on here a little bit. But it's interesting that David takes everything that he gets and dedicates it to the Lord, pretty much. And uh, it's interesting that he has his nephew, um, uh, Abishai, is, 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 is one of the military commanders. Joab is the, the big guy, but Abishai is going to be very prominent here. And he, takes, he gets the credit for the Edomites in the Valley of Salt with 18,000. And put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants. Thus the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. See, the chronicler isn't detailing the operations, or he's summarizing the conquest to give you... He's setting the, the groundwork here to understand David's, David is reaching his peak. This is a way of trying to cover that. So David reigned over all Israel and executed judgment and justice among all his people. That's a very, very profound, important verse. Good guy. And Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the host, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Alahid, the recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahidab, and Amalek, the son of Abathar, were the priests, and Yavsha was the scribe, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and of the sons of David were the chief about the king. 
So we constantly get the military lineup, which is important for the chronicler, but unless they have special significance, we won't take a lot of time on them. We'll get, we'll get to the background of a few of them as we go. Chapter 19, we're going to double back on the Ammonites here. Now it came to pass after this that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, died. And that's interestingly enough the same way this topic was introduced in Samuel. They used the same approach when that king died. And his son reigned in his stead. David said, I will show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. And David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. This is going to be a strange event here. So the servants of David came into the land of the children of Ammon to Hanun to comfort him. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? He had a, a friend that just died. His son's there. He's going there sending his messengers to comfort him. But the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanun, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Are not his servants come unto thee for to search, and to overthrow, and to spy out the land? <laughs> Wherefore Hanun took David's servants, and shaved them. To a Jew, that's a sign of disgrace. Not a, the razor was not to touch their head. Shaved them, and cut off their garments in the midst, hard by their buttocks, and sent them away. Not a very hospitable way to treat ambassadors of the king. Then there went certain and told David how the men were served, and he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. I assume also they probably got some new uniforms, but in any case... <laughs> And when the children of Ammon saw that they had made themselves odious to David, Hanun and the children of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire them chariots and horsemen out of Mesopotamia and out of Syrian Machach uh, and out of Zobah. Mesopotamia is, is far to the east. It's, the term means between the two rivers, between the Euphrates and the Tigris. And uh, so they're, they... They're, they they might have been done better to send that thousand talents to David as an apology. But rather, they used that money to hire mercenaries, so to speak, to help them. So they hired 30 and 2,000 chariots. That's a lot of chariots. And the king of Machach and his people, who came and pitched before Medeba. And the children of Ammon gathered themselves together from their cities and came to battle. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. Now, we've been, in, we've been through those several groups of 30 that were the elite, the Republican Guard, if you will, or whatever. And the children of Ammon came out and put, the, and put the battle in array before the gate of the city, and the kings that were come were by themselves in the field. Now, when Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind, he chose out of all the choice of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. That's the one he sweated first. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in array against the children of Ammon. So it's Ammon to the south, Syrian to the north. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will help thee. But be of good courage, and let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and for the cities of our God. Let the Lord do that which is good in his sight. And Joab and the people 
uh, that were with him, drew nigh before the Syrians unto battle, and they fled before him. So they had confidence in the Lord. That's where the confidence should rest. And uh, the Ammonites retreated to the uh, security of their uh, fortifications, fortified city at Ramah. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, they likewise fled before Abishai's brother and entered into the city. That's their fort, if you will. Then Joab came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were put to the worst before Israel, they sent messengers and drew forth the Syrians that were beyond the river at Shochach, and the captain of the host of Hadarezer went before them. And it was told David, and he gathered all Israel and passed over the Jordan and came upon them and set the battle in array against them. So when David had put the battle in array against the Syrians, they fought with him. But the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew of the Syrians 7,000 men which fought in chariots, and 40,000 footmen, and killed Shochach and the captain of the host. When the servants of Hadarezer saw that they were put to the worst before Israel, they made peace with David, high time, and became his servants, neither would the Syrians help the children of Ammon anymore. <laughs> that became a problem between them, I suspect. Okay. Well, let's get back to the Philistines in chapter 20. came to pass that after the year was expired, at the time that kings go out to battle, <laughs> Joab led forth the power of the army and wasted the country of the children of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem, and Joab smote Rabbah and destroyed it. Now it's interesting, this is where if you are going to deal with David staying at Jerusalem while Joab is out there fighting, this is where you would expect to see an account of the, the, the business with Bathsheba. If you want to read that, you've got to go back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 11. It's interesting that the chronicler didn't deal with that. Because from his point of view, that was a personal sin. It, wasn't, it was something God forgave him. And by, your sins will be remembered no more and so forth. So it's not a, it, it was not regarded as material to the purpose of the chronicler, which of course is to establish the background to the Davidic dynasty. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.